Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. So a few weeks ago, we started uh, started a series. Wow, that is really weird. I'm sorry. I don't know what it is. Oh, hand sanitizer. Okay. Maybe I need some. Uh, so we started a few weeks ago a series. I wanted to talk to you uh, over a few lessons from the book of John uh, called Reaching the One. It's our it's, it's the mission of our church here. We, uh, we say that we are reaching the one that is far from God and helping them become passionate followers or a passionate follower of Jesus. And so being far from God can, can have many aspects. So a few weeks ago, uh, and I wanted to look at some, some things in, in the book of John where Jesus reached the one. And we looked at John chapter 3 and we saw the story of Nicodemus. And so that was kind of like reaching the one who is religious or legalistic. Everybody knows somebody like that, right? How do we reach a religious person? And then after that, we looked at John chapter 4, where Jesus talked with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and how do we reach somebody that's not like us? Now, the Samaritan woman was, uh, Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. It was racially, uh, they were divided. They didn't believe the same uh, there was gender issues, racial issues. So how do we reach somebody not like us? And, and this week I want to look at John chapter 5. And we're going to look at the man who had an infirmity for 38 years. And he was laying at the pool of Bethesda. So our text will be John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. And as we read the story, it says that, it says that uh, he had an infirmity. An infirmity for 38 years. And that word infirmity, it means, it doesn't just mean sickness, it just doesn't mean disease, it means weakness or lack of strength. Weakness or lack of strength. So I guess I'd like to start today and ask you, what weakness or lack of strength do you have in your life? What one weakness or lack of strength do you have in your life? Maybe what one thing in your life would you like to be freed of if you could? Now, if you don't know, maybe you could ask your spouse. I'm sure they could tell you. <laughs> Kristen's already down here making notes. Give me later. Hey, can we get some lights in the sanctuary? I'd like to see everybody's face if I could. So what one thing in your life, what one weakness, one one lack of strength would you like to be free of today? And so Jesus, when he's talking to this guy, as we'll see in a minute, he asks him a question. He says, do you want to be made well? And that word made well, it's only used maybe 13, 14 times in the New Testament. It doesn't just mean to get healed. To be made well means to be made whole, to be made complete, to be made entire. And so sometimes there can be one issue in your life that when that thing's broken, other things are subsequently broken. And so Jesus wants you not only to be saved, that your spirit is whole, but he also wants you to be whole in your soul. He wants you to be mentally sound. He wants you to be emotionally pain-free. And he wants you to be whole in your body. He wants you to be healed and live in health. So when Jesus wants to heal you, when Jesus wants to touch you, he's not just looking at one area. He wants to make you whole completely. Some other times that this, this same word was used, it said that the, the, there was a leper that came to Jesus, 
um, I'm sorry, it wasn't leprosy. It was a man with a withered hand. And in Luke's gospel, it tells us that it was his right hand. And so typically a time when he hears something about a right hand, it really has to do with him being able to work. So this guy probably wasn't able to work. He probably wasn't able to earn a living. His right hand was withered. And it said, Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And it said, immediately that hand became as whole as the other one. So that it was made complete, intact. And actually he was able to affect his entire life. Same word that he used with the, in, in Mark's gospel with the woman that had the issue of blood. Remember, she reached out, she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, and it said she was healed. He turns around and he says, he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be whole, or that is translated healed, but same word whole, be whole of your affliction. You know, she had this issue of blood. It wasn't just a physical issue, but it kept her from going to the temple. It kept her secluded from people. It affected all parts of her life. So Jesus said, hey, I just don't want you to be healed. I want you to be whole. And that's what we want for you. We want wholeness in your life. I want you not just to be free of one thing, over this one thing, but I want you to be whole. Because that's what Jesus wants. He wants every part of you fixed. And so sometimes, I just want to, before we look at this passage, I just want to look at a couple other verses, because sometimes you can get a little bad theology when you... You read this story, people will read it and find something that's there that's not doctrinally right, but they pull it out because it, it matches the way they believe, but it's not really congruent with the rest of Scripture. So what we'll see is there was a, there was a place where all these sick people were laying, a multitude, lots, hundreds, thousands, we don't know. But Jesus heals one man. And so sometimes people say, by the fact that he stepped over umpteen different people to heal one shows that Jesus doesn't always want to heal you, that he just heals certain people. That is not true. That is not true. See, what we know from the story is, yes, Jesus, in fact, did heal one person, but we don't know. He might have cleared the whole, the whole place. Amen. We don't know that. Well, we know, John says at the end of John, verse, chapter 21, verse 25, it said, if everything that Jesus did was recorded, the world couldn't contain the books that would have it written in it. And so that he did so many miracles, so many things, that it would be impossible to record them all. So don't look at this story and think, just because one man was healed, and we don't have record that the others were, that Jesus only wants to heal one person. Matter of fact, I want to show you two scriptures from the book of Luke, only because Luke was a doctor by trade. And I want you to see where everybody that came to Jesus for healing walked away healed. And stayed healed. I like that. So Luke chapter 4, let's go forward a couple slides here, I think. I just want to read these two verses to you. It says in Luke 4.40, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases, so it wasn't just one, multiple diseases, brought them to him, and he laid his hands on how many? Every one of them and healed them. Everybody that came to Jesus, everybody that was brought by their friend that had various disease, he laid his hands on every single one and healed every single one. And then we see in Luke chapter 6, it says, uh, a couple verses earlier, it says, 
all the people, and imagine it says all the people from Jerusalem and Judea and the coastlands of Tyre and Sidon. So we're talking about a lot of people. It says, and the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out of him, and he healed just a couple. What's it say? It says he healed them all. So I want you to know, don't hear this story today and think that Jesus just wants to heal one person today. Jesus wants to heal you, and you, and you, and you. And he wants to heal all of you. Every part of you. He wants you to be whole. So let's go ahead. We're going to start in Luke chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 5. Start with this story. Um, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to read this in its entirety, except for I just want to digress right at the beginning here. I'll just give a little context. and just a, It's really, you know, the bad thing about me having three weeks to prepare for a message is I really get too much, I think, sometimes. So uh, I kind of want to go down just a little rabbit trail, but I, I want you to see that there's so much in Scripture that sometimes we tend to read over. And there's so many things, even in the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament really reveals Jesus to us. So I just want to take you back just to one verse in Nehemiah as we get to the end of these three, just to show you something. All right, it says, it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So this feast, scholars disagree. Most think it was probably Passover. Some say it could have been Pentecost. Uh, there was three times a year everybody went to Jerusalem. So probably, probably Passover, but maybe Pentecost. Because after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. So, so here, in, he says he goes to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, there's... There's a, a pool, and this pool of water is by, by the Sheep Gate. Now, this pool of water is called Bethesda, and it says it's in Hebrew. So, in Hebrew, Bethesda, anytime you hear the word Beth, does anybody know what that means? And it's not a, taking a shout, that's Bath, okay. Beth, and it's not a song by Kiss. If, you're, if, you're, if Jeff's, Jeff's here, he's not here today, probably. Oh. Yeah, there he is. You knew that, didn't you? Of course. Beth means house. So if you think of the word Bethel, Beth-el, house, El is God, house of God. Bethel is house of God. If you think of the word Bethlehem, Beth, and then Lechem, house of bread. I have my student right up front here. She's feeding me all the answers. Thanks, Whit. So, uh, Bethlehem, house of bread. So here we have Bethesda, comes from two Hebrew words, Beth, which means what? Oh, come on, where have you been for five minutes? House, and Chesed, which means loving kindness, mercy, favor, or goodwill, or goodness. So and, and if you see this word, you see it a lot, David probably uses the word more than anybody. You read the book of Psalms. His mercy, his said, his loving kindness endures for how long? Forever. And, and David writes about it. It's all through the Psalms. So this pool is called the house of what? Mercy or the house of grace or the house of favor. So here we have, there's a pool where sick people go, the house of mercy, the house of grace. And how many colonnades or how many porches does it have? Five. In the Bible, five represents what? 
grace. So here we have a house of grace, a house of mercy, a house of favor. It's got five porches probably to shield people from the sun. So as they're laying there, they're not getting toasted. And then it says, where is it located? By what gate? The sheep gate. So I went back and looked. The sheep gate is mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. And so let's look at this verse in Nehemiah 3. Next slide. Verse 1. So if you remember Nehemiah, Nehemiah, you know, he's building, rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. And this is in Nehemiah 3.1. He starts to talk about all the different gates and sections of the wall that are being built. And he starts, number one, a number one, is the sheep gate. And then Eliashib, the high priest, rose with his brethren and the priest and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it, hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hananel, uh, which means God has favored. So I want you to see a couple things here. So it's called the sheep gate because it was located next to the temple. And it was the gate through which they brought the sheep that were about to be sacrificed. Who do you think that might point to? Jesus. This gate was the only gate that was built by the high priest. Guess who's our high priest? Jesus. And it said that it was built by the high priest whose name was Eliashib, which means God restores. See, God wants to make you whole. He wants to restore everything the enemy's taken. And it said they started at the sheep gate, went all the way to the Tower of the 100. When we think of 100 in the New Testament, what do we think about? A man had how many sheep? 100. And how many left? One. And he left the 99 to get the one to restore it and bring it back. And it says he went all the way from the, the, the high priest, whose name was God Restores, to the Tower of 100, all the way to the Tower of Hananel, which means God has favored or God has graced. Interesting, too, if you read all the way to the end of the chapter, the last gate mentioned is the sheep gate. So it goes from the first to the last is the sheep gate. Who's the first and the last? Jesus. It's also the gate that had no bolts, which means, guess who can come in? Anybody. There's a whole gospel just in the sheep gate. It's really amazing. All right, that was enough for rabbit trail. Give you something to go back and study. All right, verse 4. Let's go. So we'll read through this. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? We're going to read right through these. And the sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, Hey, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. Now imagine that. A guy who has been lame for 38 years gets healed, and then the religious people are like, well, you can't be doing that today. Imagine that. And they said, who 
And he answered and said, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they said, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Look at this. But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Send no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Six times in there, made well, made well, made well, made well. What does made well mean? Whole. Whole. I want you to think wholeness, completeness. So three things Jesus says to this guy. We're really going to focus on the first two. I'm going to pull the third one probably into one of the other points. But he says to him three things. He says, do you want to be made well? He says, rise, take up your mat, or take up your bed and walk. And then finally, when he comes back in the temple later, he says, see that you've been made well. Go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. We're going to talk about those, really the first two, uh, and just kind of talk through this today, because I want to maybe address a few things that may be keeping you from saying yes to Jesus. So he asks him, he says, do you want to. You notice the guy didn't say yes. I mean, imagine this today. Here's a guy. 38 years laying at the pool. And Jesus says, you want to be made well. Now imagine the Facebook and the, the tweets today that would go out on that one. Of course the guy wants to be made well, right? How dare you? How inconsiderate, Jesus. One thing I want you to notice is sometimes we don't see the compassion in Jesus. See, we might find offense to that. Here's a guy that's lame. He says, do you want to be made well? Well, duh. Why would I be here if I didn't? See, compassion... Jesus, it always says, was moved by compassion. He was full of compassion. Everything he did, he was, had compassion on people. See, compassion refuses me, or refuses to allow you to settle for less than what God's best is. And he knew the guy was just settling. He says, do you want to be made well? And the guy didn't answer. He actually didn't say Yes. See, somebody asked Jesus this same question in reverse one time, and it's a question probably we struggle with sometimes. God, do you want to make me well? Anybody ever ask God that? God, do you want to make me well? See, there was a leper that came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, and I put the Phillips version up because I really love the way it translates it. But basically the leper comes up and says, Jesus, I know you're able, but are you willing? See, very few people doubt God's ability to heal, but they, they question his willingness to heal. And I love how it answers in this version. It says, there was a leper who came and knelt in front of him. Sir, he said, if you want to, this is the same word, want to. If you want to, you can make me clean. I know you can do it. Jesus stretched out his hand and placed it on the leper and said, everybody say this, of course I want to. Of course I want to. Of course I want to. 
It's never a matter of Jesus's want to. I don't care how long you've been in something, how deep it is, how, how deep-rooted it is, Jesus wants to heal you. And you've got to get it through your head that it's, will, it's God's will to heal you. Jesus perfectly represented the Father. He did everything exactly. He was an exact representation of the Father, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. So everything he did, every action he took, everything he said perfectly represented his Father in heaven. So I want you to know this today, that God wants to. God wants to. But he asked the question, he goes to the God, do you want to? Do you wish to? Do you desire to? Is it your intention to be healed? What did God say? I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. <laughs> I got nobody to put me in the pool. You know, for crying out loud, after 38 years, you could have inched to the water. I'm not trying to be mean, but, I mean, even a, an inch a week, come on. Could have his hand right there, ready to go. I got nobody to put me in the water. So I want to ask you, I'm just going to put a few things up today. What are some reasons, and then we're going to look at what Jesus said. He said, rise, take your mat, and walk. So I just want to give you a few reasons that I was going through this week. Why would anybody ever hesitate to say yes to Jesus? Because what did Jesus say? Jesus says, yes, of course I want to. But why do we hesitate to say, yes, I want to? Because if he wants to, and I want to, boom. Number one, you're surrounded by the wrong people. This guy, now it doesn't say he laid there for 38 years. If you read it, it said he had, a, he had an infirmity 38 years and he'd been there a long time. Maybe he was there 38, I don't know, but he'd been laying there a long time. But think about this, over time, he's probably developed some, some little card playing clubs and, and little uh, small groups, you know, and he's hanging out with everybody who's got a bum knee and. And, and got a limp, and, and, and he's got a little social circle going on. And it feels good. He's around people like him. And, and he, you know, here's the thing. If you want to get a group of friends, just put hashtag your issue, and they'll flock to you. That's all you got to do. Hashtag issue, and man, they'll come out of the woodwork, and you'll have a bunch of friends. But you know why these people that he was surrounded with were not his friends? He said, because when it came down to it, when the angel came and stirred the water, he said, I have no one to help me into the pool. And he says, matter of fact, when I am making my way there, guess what? Another one steps ahead of me. Let me tell you what, they're not friends. See, you got to quit hanging out with people who are only concerned with their healing and not yours. See, they might, oh, yeah, brother, oh, sister, I want you to be, oh, get out of there. That's my, yeah, I'm first. It's like, it's like when you put the food out at the buffet, they're in the back, and next thing you know, they're up front. And then you're wondering if there's going to be any left. In this case, there was nothing left. It was just one healing, and that's it. 
See what Paul tells the Philippians, he says, I want you to value one, I want you to value others more than yourself. Philippians 2:2. 2, 2. And then he goes on to say, I want you to, to look upon the interests of others as well as yourself. Some of you who haven't said yes immediately, it's because the people you're hanging with, as soon as, as soon as the opportune time comes, they've turned their back. Maybe you got the wrong expectations. It says that a multitude of sick people were doing what? Laying, waiting for, that word means expecting. If you look it up, waiting for what? They're waiting for the angel to come down and stir the water up. And here's what happens. When Jesus walked up, he didn't even know who Jesus was. And so what happens a lot of times, we can get so focused where our expectation is for the angel, which means messenger. Maybe you're looking to a certain pastor. Maybe you're chasing a certain ministry. Maybe you're, you're going after some method of prayer and fasting, and you're so dialed in to waiting on the stirring of the water because that's the way it's always happened in the past that you miss the Jesus standing right in front of you. See, I almost missed the Jesus standing in front of me about 10 years ago. I was having migraine headaches. I had them every day. I woke up with a headache. I went to bed with a headache. The pastor called us forward for prayer. There's four prayer lines. The pastor, the lead pastor's there, and they're trying to move me here, and I'm over here, and, then he, and I keep trying to go to the lead pastor. What I didn't realize, Jesus was 80 years old and had blue hair standing right there. Because I was looking for the lead pastor, but little Miss Muffet that was 80 years old with blue-purple hair was the one that prayed for me, and my headaches have been gone ever since. But I was so focused on the stirring of the water here, I almost missed Jesus there. Number three, you wouldn't have anyone left to blame or anything left to complain about. You know, some people just like playing the victim card. Matter of fact, you enjoy having your issue because it's become your identity. You will go as far to protect yourself from getting healed because now that's who you are. At least that's who you think you are. And if I, if I don't have somebody to blame, well, you don't know what they did to me. And if I don't have some excuse to make, I'll have nothing left to post on Facebook. I mean, let's take away the excuses. Who cares? You live your whole life stuck in a bunch of excuses. Let me tell you why I'm the exception to the power of God. Let me tell you why he can't heal me. Let me tell you what my ex-girlfriend did to me. Let me tell you what my ex-husband did to me. Let me tell you how my drug dealer screwed me over. Whatever it is. 
I can't change your past. You can't change your past, but you certainly can change your future. You got to get rid of the excuses. I don't got nobody to put me in the water. Every time I walk down, somebody cuts. Shut up. Do you want to be whole? Or do you want to make a Facebook post? And you want to hashtag everybody just like you? They think their issue is a punishment for their sin. So Jesus addressed this later. The third thing he says to the guy, he said, See, you've been made well. Go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come on you. Some sickness is a result of sin. The fact that Jesus says, sin no more, lest the worst thing come on you, makes me logically think that this guy's sickness was a result of some sin. Jesus says, remember it says, uh, when you've been delivered and, and, and the demon leaves and the house is swept and you don't fill it, seven more come back and the end is worse thereof than the beginning. Here's what I want to tell you today. Sickness and disease is part of the curse. The curse is the result of sin. In the Old Testament, when you sinned or when you disobeyed, you were cursed. And part of that curse was sickness. So in the Old Covenant, sickness was judgment for sin. Under the New Covenant, I want to tell you this, that Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse, having become a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. See, your sin, God is not punishing you with sickness for your sin. He's already punished Jesus. He's already put the full brunt of that on Jesus. Jesus took it all. But what sin will do, God's not punishing you for your sin with sickness, but sin will open the door up to the enemy. Sin gives the enemy an open door to come in and steal, kill, and destroy. And so under the new covenant of grace, that Jesus has already taken every sin, every sickness, all guilt, everything, sin still has bad consequences. And he says, so, so sometimes people think, well, I just got to deal with this because I'm paying my way. Look, Jesus has already paid your way. Don't ever think that you have to deal with sickness because you deserve it. See, Jesus took what you deserve. So you can receive what he deserves. That's the truth. So don't ever let your sin or you thinking you have to pay for it stand in the way of your healing. Maybe they've lost hope. Thirty-eight years is a long time to deal with something. I know some of you have been dealing with things for a long time. Maybe 38 years, maybe longer, maybe less. Whatever it is, there's always hope. With one caveat. 
See, sometimes I've had things in my life where I've, they've gone on so long that I just want to get to the point where I don't even want to pray about it anymore. I don't want to have anybody pray for me anymore. It seems hopeless. But here's what Paul tells the Ephesians in Ephesians 2. Might be Ephesians 5. He said that at that time, he's talking to the Gentiles before they got saved, but he said at that time you were without Christ. Aliens, it's always a fun word, a bunch of aliens. He said, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in this world. So, there's no such thing as a hopeless situation if you invite God into it. But everything's hopeless apart from God. Because it says that you have having no hope without God in this world. Apart from Christ, apart from God, it's hopeless. But here's the good news. No matter how long it's been, don't lose hope. Maybe you just need to go get prayed for one more time. Maybe you just need to stand one more day. Because you never know. That guy didn't know that that day was his day. There's always hope. Maybe for the last one, we'll hurry through these. I've grown accustomed to accommodating your issues. What's that mean? Well, that's just the way I am. I just got to cope with it. You know, sometimes you got to rip the scab off to deal with the issue. And sometimes you got to get the, you got to go through the pain to get to the deliverance. But sometimes you're like, I don't want to go through the pain. It hurts too much. See, pain's a good thing because pain identifies the source of the problem. But see, a lot of times we're so scared of dealing with it that we numb ourselves instead of, of going through the pain of getting through it. See, Jesus does not want to numb your problem. And we do a lot of that. Well, this is just who I am. This is just the sickness I have. How about this one? Let's spiritualize it. This is just my cross to bear. You ever heard that? Jesus already carried that cross. You can't carry it. If you're carrying it, you're saying that the fact that he carried it wasn't good enough. You've never been called to carry a cross of sickness ever. See, God hates sickness as much as he hates sin. I mean, imagine this. Well, pornography is just my cross to bear. What would you say? Oh, well, you know what? Adultery, that's just my thing. You're laughing. But when people say, well, this issue, this sickness is just my... Oh, yeah, brother, amen, you're so spiritual. That's bull. See, Jesus wants to heal you. He doesn't want to numb you. All right, let's look at the three things that he did say. Let's remember these. Let's say this. Rise, Rise. take up your mat, 
and walk. Rise, take up your mat, and walk. Wait a minute, how did we get all the way to the end? Good, go back up there. We go. So here, here's this lame guy. And what's Jesus tell him to do? So every time somebody came, typically there was some, some faith that was exerted. How much faith did this guy have? None. So Jesus had to tell him to do something to have some sort of action that corresponded and caused his faith to rise up. Rise up. He actually tells him to do the impossible. Imagine this. Rise. It's impossible. But here's what I want to tell you. When Jesus commands something, the word that he delivers carries with it the power to do the thing that it commands. See, grace always empowers you to do whatever it commands. If you remember the story of, of Mary, uh, Jesus' mom, when she's talking to the angel, and the angel says, you will conceive a son and you will call his name Jesus. And what's she say? I never had sex. How's that going to happen? And he says, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And, the, and, and the, uh, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the, the, the power of the, of the highest will, will, will rest on you. He said, even your cousin Elizabeth, who was called barren, is now six months pregnant. And then he says this, Luke 137, he says, with God, nothing will be impossible. With God, nothing will be impossible. So when Jesus says rise, it's impossible. But the fact that he says it makes it possible. So you might have a situation you think it's impossible. Well, I'm telling you that God says it's not. See, if you look at this, I love this. In, in, our, in our language, it says, uh, with God, nothing. How many words is that? How many words is the word nothing? One. In the Greek, it's three words. So our one word, nothing, is three words in the Greek. It's u, pas, rhema. U means no or not. Pas means any. And rhema means spoken word. So when it says, with God, nothing, no, not any spoken word. Not any spoken word is nothing. Shall be what? Impossible. Adunato which is where we get the word dunamis, or miracle-working power. So it says that no word spoken from God is without miracle-working power. So that if God speaks it, within the word itself is the power to perform the very thing spoken. So I'm telling you, it may seem impossible, but if God said it, it's possible. And what Mary say? Be it unto me according to your rhema your word. Jesus says, rise, rise. See, some of you have been laying with that company, that those people too long, you need to stand up and get out of that community. You need to get away from the people. You need to stand up and get out of that group of people you've been hanging out with. It's time to stand up. And what's he actually say? He says, take up your mat. He says, rise, take up your mat, or take up your bed. What did that mat do for the, the paralyzed guy? It gave him, remember I said I was riding on that horse? Right? What I needed was a mat. Because I could feel my pelvis all the way through my skinny cheeks. 
It's like I had like this much padding. He says, once you get up, and it said, when Jesus says, rise, take up your mat and walk, the next verse says, immediately he took up his bed and walked. It didn't say he rose, which means as he's rising, he, the healing took place. And from that point, he went ahead, picked up his mat and walked. What I'm telling you is once you've been healed, you need to pick up your mat. You need to pick up the very thing that you were relying on to, to comfort you in that issue. Another way to say it is I don't want you to make provision for a relapse. See, a lot of times we're, we're, afraid, to, we're afraid to cut the cord. We're afraid to let go of the thing that brought us comfort before. I was talking to Andy Pannoni and, and Pastor Jay before church, and Andy, uh, we're doing some marriage counseling with Andy and Mindy, and he says, not everything in the book applies to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, like what? He's like, well, it said, are you ready to cut the cords from your parents? He goes, I've kind of been over that like 20 years. Pastor Jay and I were like, sometimes we'd actually like to be back, have the cord reattached to our parents. You know, like, please take me back. I don't want to be in the world. Please. <laughs> but sometimes when you get healed, you got to cut the cord. you got to pick up the mat. See, in talking about Abraham and Sarah, you remember when in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you remember back in Genesis 12 when God calls Abraham, he says, I want you to leave your kindred, leave your country, and go to a place that I will show you. Remember that? And then, if, so in Hebrews, it's talking about the faith of Abraham, the faith of Sarah. Then it says, these all died in faith, having not received the promises, but they could see them afar off in verse 13. And then verse 15 says this, next slide. It says, and if their hearts were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. See, sometimes your opportunity to go back is right here. Sometimes your mat is in your head. Sometimes it's a physical environment. Sometimes it's, it's a crutch or whatever you leaned on. And sometimes it's right here between your ears. And if you dwell there long enough, you'll find yourself back in the place that you got out of. And that's not wholeness. And finally he says, I want you to get up I want you to pick up your mat, and what's the last thing? Walk. I want you to walk. If you read the Synoptic Gospels, the word walk here, peripateo, is typically used to mean walk, like we think about walking. As you transition in the New Testament to the, uh, to the epistles, when Paul uses the term walk, peripateo, same word, it means the entirety of your life. It means making use of every opportunity, the way you live your life. At the end, if you think of the word peri, P-E-R-I, it means round. So peripateo means the entirety of your life. See, once you've been healed, once you've been set free, now once you've picked up your mat, cut the cord, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life. See, you can't execute God's plan for your life here. 
Because you're not doing what? You're not walking. See, you can't walk into your destiny laying down. You gotta rise up, pick up your mat, and walk. And I wanna read this uh, from, next slide, from Ephesians 2 in the Amplified. Because you might think, I, I've, been, I've been so wrong for so long, there's no way that God could use me. There's no way that God has a plan for me. I want to tell you this. He preordained before the foundation of the earth what he wants you to do. So before you ever got stuck, he had a plan. Before you ever screwed up, he had a purpose for you. And the Amplified Version says it like this. It says, we are his workmanship, <clears throat> his own master work, a work of art. Other translations say masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set, so that we would do what? Walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. See, God has purposed you to do good works. God had a, had a, think about this lame guy. Would he have ever had the opportunity to tell the Pharisees that Jesus healed him if he'd never been healed? No. If he had never risen up, if he had never taken his mat, if he had never walked, he never would have run into them, and he never would have said, the man that made me well was Jesus. It was Jesus. See, even God had a plan for him. God's got a plan for you. Stand up. I want to pray for you today. I asked you at the beginning of service, you forgot one thing. What one weakness in your life that if you could get rid of today, you'd get rid of it? What one issue? See, Jesus wants you to be whole. First and foremost, that's whole in your spirit, which means that when you're born, you're born with a sin nature. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, He makes you new on the inside. So if you've never done that, that's the best decision you could, that's the one thing you need to do today. But He wasn't just satisfied with saving you eternally. He wants your, your mind to be sound. He wants your emotional pain your emotional scars to be gone. And he wants your body to be whole and healthy. And that's God's best for you. So I want you to bow your head. Don't bow your heads. Nobody looking around. So I'm going to ask you those three things. I want to pray for you. First, is there anybody here that's never made Jesus the Lord of your life? You never said, Jesus, I want to make you Lord and Savior of my life. 
that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. Anybody today? Any? Put your hand up. It's the number one decision you can make. All right, what about this? Anybody have a mental or emotional issue you need freed from? Mental or emotional? Hands all over. Hands all over. You're not alone. Father, right now, I want to pray this. 1 Corinthians 2 said, You have the mind of Christ, speaking to believers. So, Father, I just pray the mind of Christ over each person today. Father God, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to begin to move in their brains, in their minds, in their emotions, their feelings. Father, restore feelings that don't line up with your word. Father, heal hurts that go back deep, years deep, Lord. Touch them, Jesus. And finally, anybody with a physical sickness, issue, disease, dealing with a long time, short time, anything, going to pray. I want to pray for you as a group, but I also want to pray individually. If, if I'm going to pray and dismiss everybody, but if you'd like to come up for prayer afterward, we'll be here to pray with you. Father, you saw the hands for physical healing. And I believe that you are a healing God. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe that by Jesus' stripes, it says in Isaiah, we are healed. And it says in 1 Peter 2, it says, by his stripes we were healed, past tense. So, Father, I, I just plead the blood and the broken body of Jesus over each person that raised their hand today for physical issues. And we break those, command them to leave in the name of Jesus. Wholeness in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. And here's the thing, I'm going to be here. And so if you got something, if you didn't feel comfortable putting your hand up, or hey, you, look, you, you, want, you want to be prayed for individually, we're here for you. Uh, we'd love to spend some time with you. Other than that, God bless you. Have a wonderful day.